2: Last time on Man of the Crowd. I think when John came in the building, he was expecting a fight. It was getting really ugly
3: at practice. So I just went over and I told him, I said, hey, that's enough. I said, we're a team. And that sideline kind of unleashed on me. And he's kind of you know, looking at me, I go, you want to go? You want to
0: go right now?
1: Rex was was our guy, you know, he, we were very loyal to him, as he was very loyal to us. So we wanted him to get the job.
0: Horace first got here, man.
4: Oh, he was just like tough, way tough, tough. This is my team. You right. know, a new coach. I don't care if y'all are older guys, this is my team. You know, we didn't like it at first. You know, like
0: yo, oh, why you why you move me away from this guy? How you move me away from that guy?
5: And them having to take no for an answer. Let's say, No, we're not going to view it through this prism anymore and i told him that will be your biggest challenge
2: from the baltimore ravens this is man of the crowd a multi-episode podcast that pulls back the curtain on ravens figures personal lives this season the harbaugh family i'm sarah ellison who could possibly have it better than us
6: We're going to attack this day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind.
3: Because you are fighters, and that's what you are going to be. Today, tomorrow, you are going to
1: fight.
7: San Francisco head coach Jim Harbaugh recently cut off contract negotiations until after this season and his relationship with the front office, let's just say it's rocky at best. How does this thing end?
8: I think in a very ugly divorce. I'd be surprised if Jim Harbaugh is actually back in San Francisco next year.
6: Michigan needs a new head football coach. The university fired head coach Brady Hoke today after four seasons. The Wolverine football team got progressively worse during each of Hoke's four years.
2: Let me just settle this right now. What? Okay? Okay. Jim Harbaugh is
4: not going to coach at University of Michigan. If Jim Harbaugh coaches at the University of
2: Michigan, I will shine every pair of shoes that you have. And yes, I realize it's on tape. God,
8: please. It's not happening. Look, the dude was a play
1: away from winning a Super Bowl. I mean, you don't go from movies to TV. The NFL's the NFL. It's the big league. Stop reading NFL writers. NFL writers. They think the NFL is the be-all, end-all. I'm telling you pretty emphatically, he's going to take it unless something drastic happens. And these guys are giving you these open-ended things like he wants to stay in the NFL, his wife doesn't want to leave the Bay. It's all baloney. It's all garbage.
7: On the show yesterday, I looked at the camera and I told Jimmy to come home. I told him to come home. Yeah, that, that we you, need him. Did you plead? Did you plead with him? I did. Yeah. Do you think I'm wasting my breath, though? You saw it in his eyes. Am I wasting my breath? Do you think there's a little bit of, like, even a Dumb and Dumber chance that we're saying there's a chance? There's a chance here, Do you think? Hit me with it. Just give it to me
5: straight. What are
7: my chances?
2: Not good. I'd say more like one out of a million.
1: So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah!
7: You're saying there is a little bit of a chance that Jimmy can come home. You're going to give it... Just give me a little hope, well, Charles.
1: You know, as chances go, I guess you do
7: have a, a, a slight chance. Okay. But, man, it ain't looking good for Rich. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, thanks for calling in. Enjoy the Heisman weekend, and, and good luck in Kansas City. And as this music shows, go blue. Oh, man, I, there's music to my ears, man. Always great talking to you. Same here, Charles. There's, uh, Rich. There's Charles Woodson. Saying there's a chance. Not a great chance. Not a dumb and dumber chance. But there's a chance. There's a
2: chance. Jimmy. Come on. While San Francisco 49ers fans were in shock over the firing of Jim Harbaugh after the 2014 season, Michigan Wolverines fans, well, they couldn't have been happier. The timing of Harbaugh's dismissal was perfect as the university was beginning its search for a new head coach that could restore its slumping football program back to its glory days. And maybe, just maybe, they could lure their 1986 Heisman Trophy finalist and hometown hero back to Ann Arbor. There was no question in their minds that he could turn the program around. Some were even calling him a potential savior, the messiah of Michigan football. But just because Jim was available that didn't mean he was going to take the job. Can you explain the mood in Ann Arbor for those that are kind of outsiders when there was rumors that Jim could be parting ways with San Francisco?
1: I think it was for that whole month of December, people were just on edge because there were no other real candidates. It was it was Harbaugh or Bust.
2: This is Mark Snyder, a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. I think that to them, you know,
1: Michigan hadn't gotten its first choice in a couple of previous coaching searches and Harbaugh was one of them so the possibility of landing him was thrilling to them because they figured that he would take the paddles to the program and then uh, resuscitate it
2: before i get any further into this story a quick side note i want to address a question that some of you may have and that's why is a ravens podcast diving into a michigan story well for a couple of reasons First, the Harbaugh name is huge in Ann Arbor, and that all started when Dad Jack was hired by the legendary Bo Schembechler to be the defensive backs coach in 1973. Both John and Jim, who were about 10 and 9 years old, grew up in that Wolverine's locker room. Both John and Jim learned at the feet of Schembechler, and both were shaped in those signature years of their lives. Schembechler's fingerprints are on both coaches' programs today. Now, of course, Jim returned to Michigan two more times, once as their starting quarterback in the mid-1980s, and now as their head coach, so you'll hear more about him in this episode. But that brings me to my second point. To better understand what makes the Ravens' head coach tick, and who he is today, you also have to know his younger brother. Just like in any family, John was greatly influenced by his brother Jim, and Jim was influenced by John. We're all molded by our family relationships. And thirdly. I think that historic Super Bowl matchup between these two brothers will be better appreciated by getting to know both. What does Harbaugh mean to that community there and that and that oh alumni base?
5: Well, it's not just Jim; it's Jack. And obviously, John has uh, some Ann Arbor Pioneer roots too.
2: This is Rich Eisen. I'll introduce him more in a minute.
5: And that's why, you know, while there was rumors that Jim was going to stay in the NFL, there were equal rumors that uh, John was being contacted by Michigan. Uh did you believe Greg him? No, I didn't. That one, I didn't believe. Yeah. That one, I did not believe. Um, because, you know, John didn't play for Michigan. I mean, is it? So it's a different story when you when you put on the the maize and blue. I mean, it would have been great. I mean, don't get me wrong. If John had gone, uh, obviously that would have lit up the fan base and the alumni base as well, and have a you know Super Bowl winning head coach.
2: Okay, I think you get it. The story applies to John too. And now that I've got that out of the way, back to the story. That voice you heard pleading for Jim to come home in the opening montage of media clips. This one, Jimmy. Home, home. That's Rich Eisen. He's one of the most popular NFL reporters in the country, in part because of his lovable humor, but also because he's just flat-out good at his job. Well, he's also a University of Michigan alum, so he bleeds maize and blue, and he badly wanted to see the program back on top of the country. He explained to me why he thought Jim was the only guy who could take him there. Had
5: he not done it or um, not been interested in it for whatever would be his personal reasons, um, uh, Michigan could have found another name to go with and another person to go with, but no one with the resume of coaching resume as well as Michigan pedigree, like Jim Arbaugh, a guy who played at Ann Arbor Pioneer and was Bo Schembechler's you know, all American uh quarterback i mean come on who then went to be captain come back in the nfl for ditka and jim mora and playing for all those coaches and then doing what he did on the coaching sidelines and michigan being in the state that it was in needing to remind um you know the college football world what michigan football is all about and invigorate The alumni base, there was only one human being on planet Earth who fit the bill.
2: That's why Eisen took to the airwaves and started pleading for Jim to take the job. And if Eisen's plea sounded desperate, Jimmy, come home. That's because it was. Jim could have had any football coaching job in the country after he parted ways with the 49ers. NFL teams and college programs were willing to back in the Brinks trucks full of cash to entice him. But nothing can quite compete with nostalgia. Nothing can compete with the memories of a young boy who effectively grew up in that Michigan locker room. That locker room was his home every day after school from about 9 years old until 16. Both John and Jim ran around the practice fields like they owned the place. And back then, everyone referred to them as Johnny and Jimmy. So by using that name... It was like Eisen was talking to that nine-year-old Jimmy himself, telling him to return to Ann Arbor, his home.
5: I think I was the first person on the air. Well, I was the only one, (laughs) Um, but I was the first to talk about him actually doing this. I just started from the set of my show that I do every day, just telling Jim to come home, that we're here for him. He's the only guy that can help turn this thing around. And man, oh man, uh, was I blown up by people like Desmond Howard and Charles Woodson, and saying, you know, people, it's just not going to happen. I was getting emails from friends and and people in management and our in sports world saying, just drop it, it's not going to happen. And then, and then it did,
2: and then it did, and
5: then it happened, and then it did, and it's you know, it's awesome, it's the greatest thing ever.
2: Now, I saw in an interview you did with Jim once that you you said you approached him in two thousand eight when he was at the yes. Ravens game, and you said. Come home. And I did tell him that
5: But he was in Stanford.
2: Actually, <laughs> that, that is bananas to me. When did you actually think? Was it just that December? Even during that December, did you think it was really going to happen, or were you just hoping?
5: Oh no, I was. You know, I, I was telling him. You know, um, it, it, it's got to happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the set of NFL Network, and this was at the closing of Texas Stadium. And uh, the Stanford season was over where he was playing his bowl game. And uh, we show a shot of the sideline. and This is when Willis McGahee and the rest of the Ravens closed Texas Stadium with a thumping of the Cowboys.
2: It was a good and
5: case. Yeah. And uh, we take to the set, and the team's running off into the tunnel directly to the side of the set. And I see Jim Harbaugh running. And I stopped him. And I'm like, Jim, great to see you. You got to come home. You got to come back.
2: What did he say?
5: He smiled and he said, uh, he goes, yeah, okay, like that. That's what he said. That's it. And uh, and ran off with the rest of the team.
2: Instead of Jim leading the program like Eisen asked in 2008, the Wolverines hired Rich Rodriguez. But then he was gone after three years because he lost more games, 22, than he won, 15. And then the details are a little murky during that 2011 coaching search, but reports said the Wolverines offered Jim the job, but he didn't take it. But then-athletic director Dave Brennan said an offer was never made. Either way, the Mason blue went with Brady Hoke instead, which really didn't make Eisen very happy.
5: I think he kicked the tires on Michigan years ago as no story, and Michigan didn't, you know, listen or wasn't interested, which is, to me, like crazy talk. That was absolute craziness.
2: Hoke started out with a bang in 2011 by notching an 11-2 and record and a win in the Sugar Bowl. But things went downhill from there. By going eight and five, seven and six, and then five and seven the next three seasons. So the once proud Michigan program had fallen on hard times. Well, while all this was going on in Ann Arbor, Jim was out on the West just tearing it up. He's just turning around program after program after program with what seemed like a snap of the finger. He got his first head coaching job at San Diego University where he won two Division I AA mid-major national titles in just three seasons. Then he takes over the 1-11 Stanford Cardinal team and turns them into winners. By 2010, Stanford notched its first 11-win season in program history. That was good for a number four ranking in the country and an invitation to the Orange Bowl, which was broadcast on ESPN, and the Cardinal won.
5: Jack Harbaugh is going to help you the setup up, man. For his son's Gatorade back. Yeah, they got him. They trapped him. It's one of the great turnarounds in college football. A Stanford
0: football season for the ages.
2: Harbaugh was named the winner of the Woody Hayes Coach of the Year Award, which is given to the nation's top coach. That's when the NFL came knocking, and Harbaugh inherited a San Francisco 49ers team that hadn't notched a winning season in almost a decade. He whipped them into shape, leading them to three consecutive NFC Championship games and the Super Bowl appearance against his brother in his first three years. Fox Sports captured Jim's big moment.
5: Ryan throws underneath for
2: Jones. He makes the catch, is knocked down, and the game is over. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. I think that's enough, right? I don't need to keep going? Because I think we can all see why teams were lining up for Jim. He was in high demand, there was no shortage of teams, the Harbaugh Lottery was on. And it's true that Michigan had to compete with the big boys of the NFL. Usually college teams can't compete with the lure of the almighty NFL. But the new interim athletic director, Jim Hackett, well he was heading up the search for a new head coach, and there wasn't any doubt in his mind, he wanted Jim for the job. Here's a little background on Hackett. He was an offensive lineman for Bo Schembechler in the 1970s, so he knew Jim when he was a young boy. Now, after graduation, Hackett's career was not in sports. He was a businessman before Michigan brought him in. And then after he was there for about 15 months as the interim AD, he went back to business. He's now the CEO of Ford. In sports
1: programs, there's people that have an aspiration for success. and They aren't sure what it looks like, you know. But The opposite was here. This is the winningness program in the history of American college football, and it was suffering in a way that was so atypical of what so many people remembered. So that's the backdrop to the statement I'm going to give you, which is, I felt like Michigan couldn't experiment anymore. Now, what that meant was that in the course of college coaching selection and development, people loved this romantic story of finding Bo Schembechler, you know, in a smaller program or Woody Hayes was, when he was discovered, he was in a, a small Ohio school called Denison. So think of that in a romantic kind of way. Isn't that a great story? Right. But Michigan kept struggling with, with the investment in the idea of we can predict how somebody's going to be in a program like this who hasn't had a program like this and, and they weren't, and it wasn't working. So, The Sunday night in the course of decision making, I make the decision that we can't experiment anymore. It just hits me that that's the simple rule that I've got to, I've got to pay honor to. And now if I have to, if I can't experiment, I have to go with certainty. And that's, that's what led me to Jim. Uh, having grown up, my background playing for Bo, my dad played for Paul Brown. And a brother played for Woody Hayes. So we we, we kind of could recognize great coaching in our house
2: wow.
1: of four boys. And and so I, I, I don't want to do that in a boastful way. I'm just saying it was not mysterious to me. And that he reminded me of Paul Brown. And you go, well, why would he remind you of Paul Brown? There's very few coaches ever in the history that were in a Super Bowl and uh, Rose Bowl or, you know, whatever the... The college bowl equivalent was in their careers. There's lots of stories we don't. I don't have to give them to you. You can find them that went from college to pros and didn't do very well and came back.
2: Oh yeah, Nick Saban.
1: well, you you get to say that because I don't want you know I don't want to cast dispersions. But sure. And and you can and you can observe pro coaches oh, yeah. stepping down to college that haven't worked. So that says, boy, this is rare. You know, and guess what? That hit me when I'm now the AD and I'm trying to think through, I can't experiment. And what's the, in business we go, what's evidence that that our position, you know, is clear? And here you got a guy who's excelled at the pro and the college level, unquestionably.
2: Clearly Hackett knew that he wasn't the only one who saw how good Jim was, but... As a businessman, he knew that he and the Wolverines had perhaps the biggest bargaining chips of all. Here's a bargaining chip. The chance to restore glory to the program that his idol, Bo Schembechler, helped build. Another bargaining chip? Running out of the tunnel at the Big House to the roar of 107,000 fans, just like he did when he was Michigan's starting quarterback and led the team to the Rose Bowl. There were more chips. He could reconnect with childhood memories of being the ball boy on game days. Memories of falling around another idol, Michigan legendary quarterback Rick Leach. There was also the Ann Arbor Packer Junior Football League that he and John played for. Pioneer High School, where he and John were actually recently inducted into the school's Hall of Fame. So clearly, there was bargaining chip after bargaining chip. This is where we need to talk about Bo Schembechler and the Harbaugh's introduction to Ann Arbor in 1973. John was in fifth grade at the time, Jim was in third. Jack and John explained to me that Michigan put the family up in a basement apartment on this golf course right across from the university.
8: We rolled into town in March, snowstorm that paralyzed the entire city. (laughs) You recall? I do. I do. You still made
3: us walk to practice over there.
8: They put us in the golf course across Mm -hmm. the street, and we were actually marooned in that golf course. But the amazing part is that explored the building and you found places that may have never been seen for the last 25, 30 years. That's right. There's the storm of the sand. They
3: had, they had a driving range down there with nets. And we had a, it was a playground down there. So we didn't want to move out of that golf course apartment. We lived off of Anderson. And you guys could walk to the elementary school right there at St. Francis, didn't you? Or bumper ski. Bumper <laughs> ski in Michigan. You know what bumper skiing is in Maryland? <laughs> I'm not familiar with that term. Bumper skiing. You didn't know we bumper skied? You get behind the bumper. You oh, get no. Down nice and low, you hold on. You sneak up and they stop at a stop sign. Take you right to school. They drive by the school. You kind of let go. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Mom's going crazy There's over There's an there. O over here, and that's your mother. You ever knew we bumper skied, Mom? I Bumper skiing is a Michigan tradition. I mean, they didn't salt the roads back then, you know, they I don't think you plowed them. Didn't <laughs> you didn't they? think that was somewhat dangerous? Never crossed our mind. <laughs> dangerous. It was, it was efficient. It was quick.
2: Well, it's not before long that the boys get to meet Beckler, the Michigan coach for 21 years. He became John and Jim's idol. I'm telling you, he was bigger than the president. Bigger than any movie star. Bigger than John Wayne. Bo was obviously he was an icon in our life. This is John talking at a coach's clinic in Michigan. Jim can speak
3: to it as, as a player. He played for Bo and they had that, that relationship, I think, that was pretty amazing. I, I saw him as a coach's kid. You know, I was we were we were kids and my dad was coaching him for seven years, and we thought we were the kings of the world and we'd ride our bikes around town like, you know, we own this town because our dad coach football at Michigan you know and we told everybody that would hear us and Bo was Bo was, Bo was was my dad's boss, Bo was the head coach Bo was a guy that allowed us to come to practice every day he was a guy that allowed us to be in the locker room in the weight room and, and bench press with, with Calvin O'Neil you know uh, get taped up to the goal post get stuffed into the locker <laughs> he was okay with that you know it was it was just a part of who we were and I think it's kinda made us who we are as coaches
2: today John was once asked how much those years growing up in Michigan and watching Beckler? played a part in Jim and his desire to become coaches. And he said, 100%. And here's an example. This next ESPN clip is the best way I can describe it. It speaks volumes. Okay, here we go. It's a famous speech from Schembechler given in 1983. We want the Big Ten Championship,
6: and we're gonna win it as a team. They can throw out all those
2: great backs
6: and great quarterbacks and great defensive players throughout the country and in this conference. But there's gonna be one team that's gonna play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. And if we think that way, all of us, everything that you do, you take into consideration what effect does it have on my team? Because you can go into professional football, you can go anywhere you want to play after you leave here. You will never play for a team again. You'll play for a contract, you'll play for this, you'll play for that. You'll play for everything except the team. And think what a great thing it is to be a part of something that is the team. We're going to win it. We're going to win the championship again because we're going to play as a team. Better than anybody else in this conference, we're going to play together as a team. We're going to believe in each other. We're not going to criticize each other. We're not going to talk about each other. We're going to encourage each other. And when we play as a team, When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan.
2: As we already know from past episodes, this team philosophy is in the DNA of every Harbaugh coach team. So when we talked with their dad, Jack, who was the assistant coach under Schembechler for seven years, he was so proud to see that the message stuck with John, Jim, and even his son-in-law, Tom Crean, who was the former head basketball coach at Indiana University.
8: All three... Of you have the team, the team, the team in a prominent place in your locker room. And I got to think that somewhere, you know, he <laughs> smiles and thinks, Yeah, they yeah. got it. Yeah. They got it. <laughs> they were less than they were paying attention. Paid, they were paying attention.
3: <laughs> it's amazing as coaches, kids. I'm, I'm sure that anybody, you grow up and you kind of adapt the philosophy of your family or whatever. But I think our family coaching philosophy, Bo is a big part of that, obviously, here at Michigan. And, and and where does Bo come from? You know, Bo tracks back to Midwest football, right? Woody Hayes. You can go back to Earl Red Blake at Miami of Ohio. Kind of Miami of Ohio has a lot to do with that, yeah, too, when yeah. you say the creative Errol coaches. Aaron
8: Barsegan was part of that, that fraternity.
3: Yeah.
2: You may have noticed John's voice perk up when he mentioned the University of Miami in Ohio. That's where he went to college. And he just recently, in 2014 had his own statue erected in the legendary Cradle of Coaches.
3: Bowling Green, Doit Perry, Perry, who was your coach. I mean, Midwest coaching, uh, you know, that, that's been, I think, ingrained in us, and that's what the team is all about. You know, Douglas MacArthur talked about the core, the core, the core, and uh, Bo saw that plaque at West Point on a trip. I think he was a player from Miami, Ohio, and he saw that kind of hit, click with him, the team, the team, the team, and that's what it's really all about.
2: In addition to learning about Schembechler's coaching philosophies, John and Jim also got to know him on a more personal level.
3: Bo Schimbech was just sitting in the locker room, you know, on a little stool, a little fold-up chair. And Bo Schimbech got a towel wrapped around himself. He's going into the shower. (laughs) Bo? Hey, Bo? Hey, kid. You know? I mean, you know, forget that stuff. So as the
2: story goes, the brothers didn't get that kind of access. The kind of access where you can actually see an icon in a bathroom towel. Well, they didn't get it because their dad, Jack. That's the assumption because he worked there, but... It was actually because of their mom, Jackie. You were the one who was able to get the kids into practice. Jack didn't even have to go and ask Bo that maybe you went to Millie? Millie Millie Shimbeckler. Oh, what happened was, one time I was with Millie, and she said, did you take your kids to practice? I said, yeah, I took them to practice everywhere we went. I said, but you can't go to Michigan's practice. So the next thing we know, Bo's saying, well, the the coach's kids can come to practice if they want, oh. but they have to stay off the field. That didn't happen all the time, did it? Not all the time. <laughs> Give Jackie credit because the boys didn't always steer clear of the fields. Here's John.
3: Michigan, Ohio State, I mean, I remember it's a big game. We're in is maybe our second or third year here, Dad, and they had those two little fields that were turf, like 30 yards of turf on the side of the turf field, and so the Molars and the harballs and the Minnix and Gaglis is out there, and we're... Playing touch football, not touch football, probably tackle football during Michigan's practice for Ohio State. Someone overthrows a pass onto the field and rolls right up to my dad's feet. Jim, go get the ball. You know? She <laughs> goes right out there, picks the ball up. You know, that's the first time you got yelled, yelled uh, chewed out by Bo, I think, possibly.
2: Not possibly. Definitely. And I can say that because in Bo Schembeckler's autobiography that he wrote in 1989, which was before he passed away in 2006 from heart failure. In that, he wrote about this little incident. Here's what it says. Even then, Jack's son was a devil, running around on the field when he shouldn't and playing with his friends. And one time that he did it, I screamed, Get that kid out of here now! I think he was 10 years old. So for the record, that is the youngest I ever yelled at one of my quarterbacks. Close quote. Jack remembers one of those moments vividly.
8: I said, "Oh." Please, dear God, don't let this be one of mine. <laughs> and then Bowen wouldn't say any. He'd just glare at me. Get those damn kids off the field. <laughs> the other thing is, three years, great times. After practice, you know, we'd be in the in the locker room, and then we could go home because the film was being developed, and you had to come back about seven seven thirty and try to round you guys up. And we'd hear someone go, hell! <laughs> <laughs> Where were? What were they? they? We was in a lie. We were a locker or
3: taped to a goalpost or something. It'd be hard to hard to judge. The guys, the players had had their fun with
8: us. <laughs> there was a bench press in there in the old, which was a freshman locker room. They changed into a weight room, uh. and they taped you guys to the yeah, uh, by our hands. <laughs> taped us hanging there by our hands. <laughs> it's like a like an old movie, you know,
3: back in the old days. <laughs> torture chamber
6: (laughs) oh hey
8: (laughs) come on guys (laughs) and then we'd we'd cut you down and take you over for
0: dinner (laughs) what a great day great time (laughs) yeah.
2: of the many players that taped the boys up or stuffed them into lockers was superstar all-american quarterback rick leach john and jim worshiped him he's considered one of the best quarterbacks in michigan history if not the best Leach set school passing records and he led the Mason Blue to three Big Ten championships. And by getting odd jobs from their dad as ball boys or parking attendants or whatever, the boys had a front row seat to history. Sometimes they didn't always stay in those seats. Yard,
4: fourth down and one. Huckleby deep and Davis close, and Michigan is geared right now offensively. Ricky Leach needs a yard for the first down. And I believe he pulled Duke offside. He keeps the ball down to five, four, three, two, one. Touchdown, Ricky Leach! Touchdown, Ricky Leach, as Ricky Leach has just picked up his third touchdown, the first one running, so Ricky Leach has just picked up his 34th touchdown of his career.
2: That's the voice of Michigan football, Bob Eufer's play-by-play call of Leach running in a six-yard touchdown on a keeper against Duke in 1977. Well, you can hear the crowd go wild, right? Well, I highly recommend that you go to BaltimoreRavens.com backslash Man of the Crowd to watch this play, seriously. Because while you're watching, if you look at the top of the screen, you can see this tall and gangly 13-year-old Jimmy Harbaugh on the sideline near the pylon. He's in a blue button-up shirt and long pants, and he's bouncing up and down on the balls of his feet, screaming and cheering Leech on as he nears the goal line. Well, Jim must have been overcome by his excitement because he actually makes a break for the field. But there's a referee with both hands in the air signaling a touchdown right in front of him. So Jim just sidesteps the ref and runs into the end zone while pumping his fist and clapping twice. He makes it to Rick Leach in the end zone, who is on his knees after getting banged to the ground by a couple of defenders. Jim delivers hard, celebratory pats on Leach's back.
0: You know, I just took off.
2: That's the grown-up Jim talking about the play with Andrea Kramer on HBO's Real Sports.
0: And uh, ran over here, and he was he was on his knees. You know, I get the ball like this, and and I patted him on the back, and then then ran back to the sideline, and uh, it was a picture in the newspaper.
2: Little Jimmy Harbaugh.
0: Well, I didn't. I don't it didn't even say my name, but
2: but that's who it was.
0: That's who it was. Jim
2: studied every single move that Leach would make down to the detail. He'd watch how Leach approached the offensive line and the way he walked, the way he looked across the field to diagnose the defense, the way he adjusted his shoulder pads, or the way he licked his fingers before taking a snap, and then the way he dropped back for a pass. Literally everything. And then he took those notes and he put them into practice while being a quarterback for his own team with the Ann Arbor Junior Packers. That was the first football team he and John had ever been a part of. Their head coach was Tom Minnick. He and his three sons end up being lifelong friends to the Harbaugh's, but Minnick told us later that while he was their coach, he probably learned more about football from the young boys than they learned from him.
0: I can guarantee you John and Jim Harbaugh knew more about football than I did, and the X's and O's particularly at, at 9 and 10. So Jim would, uh, Jim was a quarterback. And I'd say, Jim, what do you got? He, we, we'd give him four plays to start. And he, as long as those four plays succeeded, he just kept, he ran the team. And every once in a while, he'd throw a go route to, to John Harbaugh or a go route to one of my sons. And, and uh, it was uh, just confidence and uh, not overconfident, not cocky, but just confident. Just get out there and run the game. And He, he could do that at 10. Everything's been positive about that family with, with us. So we've, and we've, st- we've stayed with them for years.
2: Well, maybe Minnick learned X's and O's from Jim but Jim learned from him the proper way to drink milk. Here's one of the classic stories from the Harbaugh and Minnick families.
0: One time I was uh, I was getting ready. I was, uh, in between high school and college and I stayed with the Minnicks for a summer out at the house and uh, they gave, Polly Minnick gave us a shopping list, told us to go get groceries. Jim had half, I had the other half. Bought the groceries. We got, we got home. We were having a family dinner with the Minnicks and Tom Minnick liked, now there's a man who liked milk. You now he would have a, I know we're sponsored by milk tonight. Tom would have a gallon of milk right next to the right on the right on the table or next to his chair, and uh, you know keep filling up the glass. So he took his first sip of milk. I think we were having spaghetti and meatballs that night, if I recall, and got to spit it out. God, Emmett, Polly, what's this two percent stuff? Tom, I didn't do it, it's the boys. The boys went out shopping today. Jim! God, Jim. It was Harbaugh, Dad! Harbaugh had the milk. Got you Harbaugh! You candy ass! Drinking that low-fat 2% stuff over at the Harbaugh house. No Minnick would ever drink anything but whole milk. To this day, I drink only whole milk, (laughs) Coach Minnick. Not that candy-ass 2% stuff.
2: (laughs) Between studying Schembechler and Leach and drinking all that whole milk, Jim became quite the athlete. As a sophomore, he already won over the starting quarterback job at Pioneer High School in Ann Arbor. But he never got to finish what he started there. That's because Jack was hired as Stanford's defensive coordinator in 1980, so... Jim transferred to Palo Alto High School in Northern California and played quarterback there. By the time he was a senior, Jim received a few college offers, including from the University of Miami in Ohio, but he always wanted to play for Michigan. But that phone never rang, at least not until right before the National College Football Signing Day, when recruits officially commit to a school.
4: And I went into Bo one day after uh, heard he was getting recruited by Miami of Ohio, and I said, Bo. Uh, What's the story here? Jim Harbaugh is going to be recruited by Miami of Ohio?
2: This is John Falk, the beloved Michigan equipment manager for 40 years, talking on WXYZ-TV in Detroit.
4: Bo looked at me and he said, let me tell you something, Falk. He's coming to Michigan. He doesn't know it yet, but he's coming to Michigan. <laughs> and and that's just the, the relationship that, that Bo had uh, with Jim Harbaugh.
2: Beckler recalled in his biography how he got Jim to come, and it wasn't too hard of a sale. This is what he wrote in the book. When we finally recruited him out of high school, we waited until the last minute. He came into my office, sat down, and I said, Jim, I want you here. He nodded, and that was it. Well, Jim committed, but things didn't get off to the best start, as Jack and John recall.
3: When Jim first came here, you know, he, uh, he had his buddy who now works with him, Jim Minnick, and they, uh, Jim Minnick was going to get him to practice. They had the old brown station wagon that the Minnicks drove around, and, uh, and uh, they were running slightly late. But they were going to get there on time until the whole muffler system fell off the bottom <laughs> of the car, you know, about 10 miles out. You know. So once they got it paper-hangered back together, got it glued back together there, they got Jim to the freshman meeting a little bit late. Jim walks into the meeting room, and Bo said, you could probably do the better ball imitation than I could. Harbaugh,
8: you'll never play a down for the University of Michigan. <laughs> that was his introduction as a freshman. <laughs> what a great start. <laughs> but you know what? I, knowing Bo... And knowing Jim, it was a perfect opportunity for him to, to, to send a message yeah. to every freshman in that group. There is no one above Bo's, uh, Bo's scrutiny, right? Right, right. right. And, and then, and then like, it was like a winking of the eye, and uh, this is perfect. This, this right. couldn't have been delivered up to me any more perfectly.
2: Yeah. It actually did take Jim quite some time to get on the field, but not necessarily because of his tardy. He redshirted that freshman year, and then he broke his arm his sophomore season, forcing him to miss most of that year. Then he busted out his junior year. He started all 12 games, set a new Michigan passing record, led his team to a number two national ranking, and a Fiesta Bowl victory. It was in that 1985 season that Jim made a play that is still considered one of the best in Michigan stadium history. While playing Ohio State on ESPN, and one of the best rivalries college football has ever seen, the game was a tight back-and-forth battle. The Wolverines were hanging on to a slim three-point lead when Jim completed a 77-yard touchdown pass to wide receiver John Colasar, despite being absolutely leveled by an untouched blitzer. Rover on the blitz. He's open. Colasar, he'll go the distance. They won't catch him.
3: He thinks Schembecker with play conservative, here comes the bomb, Harbaugh throws a perfect strike to Kolasar, 77 yards, he beats number 37, William White, one-on-one, White cannot catch him, Kolasar, freshman, scores a big, big score for the
6: Wolverines. So they came with the strong safety, the strong safety came, and we did not get a helmet on him, he was not blocked. And this little Jimmy Harbaugh stood back in there. Colosar came, ran down right past their best defender. And, and Jimmy looked at that strong safety who's going to hit him right under the chin and knock him flat. And pinpointed that ball into Colosar for a big play and a touchdown. And that took the wind out of their sails.
2: That was Bo himself breaking down the epic play. And it was so epic that in 2010... 25 years after Harbaugh threw that touchdown bomb, Wolverines fans voted it into the top 10 plays of Michigan Stadium history. As much as everyone loved Jim in Ann Arbor, they detested him in Columbus, Ohio. It started with that 77-yarder in victory, but it got infinitely worse the following season because of something he told multiple media outlets before the Buckeye-Wolverine battle for the Big Ten championship.
3: Uh, I guarantee we'll beat Ohio State. Uh, this Saturday, and we'll be in Pasadena on January 1st. That, uh, there's no doubt in my mind about that.
2: Wait, what? Uh,
3: I guarantee we'll beat Ohio State.
2: You don't guarantee you'll beat somebody. You just don't do that in sports, especially not on a Bo Schembeckler coach team. Well, Schembeckler wasn't there when Jim made the guarantee, but in his book, he explains that he found out about it later and went to approach Jim about it. Here's the exchange Jim, are you crazy? Did you really guarantee a win to the press? He said, yeah, I believe it. I said, well, damn it, you better be right. Schembechler added, quarterbacks are a special breed. They need to be cocky. And the cockiest I ever had was probably Jim Harbaugh. Well, Jim needed that cockiness heading into the game. He was welcomed by 90,000 fans of the horseshoe in Columbus, chanting, Harbaugh sucks.
4: And you talk about a cruel bunch of people. Uh when Jimmy took the field, of course he had guaranteed that they were going to beat Ohio State and everybody in Columbus was just on Jimmy. We came in on Friday and our truck had uh, lost its brakes. We were heading down a hill and we hit a semi going through the intersection. And the police came over, the Columbus police and they investigated the wreck and the fellow said, what do you have on the truck? And I said, well, sir, I've got Michigan football gear. He said, is Jim Harbaugh's bag on that truck? I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, well, we're going to have to impound this stuff for the next 48 hours.
6: <laughs> and I looked
4: at him and said, now, sir. <laughs> and he looked at me and he laughed. He said, you'll have the stuff. He said, let's just right the report. <laughs> but that's how everybody down in Columbus, Ohio remembers Jim Harbaugh.
2: Well, guess what? Jim, Mr. Comeback himself, made good on his guarantee. Despite being down early 14 to 3, Michigan ended up winning 26 to 24. It made Shep the winningest coach in school history. I
6: can't tell you. I can't tell you how proud I am. You know, it's such, a, it's such a great character, a bunch of times. I knew they couldn't stop us. It was our turn to win. And those that thought we were done after last week, forget about Michigan and all our tradition.
2: Jim was the quarterback, am I right? When you were a freshman in 1986, what was his reputation on campus then, and what were your impressions all, all the way back then?
5: He's just a stud.
2: This is Rich Eisen again.
5: He's a stud who, you know, was a beau protege, but also had a an independent streak in him that he was a perfect extension of Bo, but also a perfect yang to Bo's yin, you know? And I think a bunch of players, a bunch of the fans and students, I was definitely inspired by his cockiness.
2: Hmm.
5: You know, I was definitely that somebody that was like, yeah, I will follow that guy.
2: It all comes full circle, doesn't it? As a college freshman, Eisen saw Jim as a stud leader on campus. Then, nearly 30 years later... Eisen saw him as a potential savior that could resurrect a Michigan team and community that was starving to return a legitimacy. Jimmy, come home. Eisen wasn't the only one who knew that using Michigan nostalgia as a bargaining chip was a smart strategy. There was Shembackler, Leach, getting stuffed in the lockers, the Ann Arbor Junior Packers, Pioneer High School, the Ohio State rivalry. It was those types of memories that actually kicked off the discussion. When Hackett called Jim to make his sales pitch to return to Michigan,
1: my first call was to Jack to see if talking to Jim was going to be, you know, disruptive to Jim's life, and if he really didn't, if his dad didn't think he had any interest in us, I didn't want anyone catching wind of it and dishonoring the family or anything, you know. And Jack said we well, ought to call him because I bet he would be interested. So I think his dad told him I was going to call, and and remember jack is a assistant coach in 73 when i'm a freshman yes i was a center jack jack's a d-coach well uh jim answers the cell phone and he goes is this the gym hack that they used to tape me up in the locker
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> and that's his first sentence and i go no i'm the one who cut you out <laughs> and uh and we hit it off from that standpoint you know
2: it wasn't long after that phone call that it was announced that Jim Harbaugh would become the 20th head coach of the University of Michigan. The announcement was made just two days after his departure from the 49ers on December 30th. Then he was introduced to fans, alumni, and students at the halftime of a Michigan men's basketball game.
0: much yeah. obviously this crowd does not need to be motivated thank you for the enthusiasm and the support even though I we have not done a darn thing it is much appreciated I pledge to you that uh we will do our very best to carry on the great tradition of Michigan excellence everybody that's for us is for us thank you very much man. you know how to make a guy feel at home and uh, my family and I appreciate it very much and I love you too thank you very much
7: from the University of Michigan joining me back on the Rich Eisen show Charles what's Charles how are you really man I'm I'm doing great doing <laughs> great man it's a great day Hey, this is a great day, man. <laughs> yes. What do you think, Charles? When we last spoke in the middle of December, we didn't think this was going to happen.
1: Well, well, well. Let's 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 revisit that. We, we we did say there was a chance,
7: right? Yes, we did. Like a dumb and dumber chance, like we we're, we're saying ta- there's we a were chance.
1: We're talking about dumb and dumber chance. Let, let, <laughs> me, let me put that in context for you. Yes. So, in the movie, you know, Jim Carrey wanted this this woman, and she said, "You know, that's a one in a million chance, right?" Hmm. Well, in real life, he actually married that woman. <laughs> That's true, Lauren Holley.
8: Yes, Charles Woodson. He
1: actually married that woman. So when we say there's a chance, (laughs) we we are speaking volumes about something. That means there's really, literally a chance (laughs) that it could happen. And it happened.
7: Charles, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. A big day today for us, Charles. A big day today. And uh, all I got to say, and certainly uh, to WYTS AM 1230 in Columbus, Ohio, who's got the Rich Eisen show on its radio station, go blue.
2: So it happened. Ann Arbor actually won the one-in-a-million Harbaugh Lottery, and I asked Jim why he did it. What ultimately made you choose to go back to Michigan over maybe any other opportunity that you had?
0: It came down to love. It really did. Um, love the game of football, love coaching football, and I love the University of Michigan.
1: Please join me in welcoming Jim to his first press conferences, the Jay Ira and Nikki Harris family head coach of the University of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. I um, apologize for my voice. They, uh, they dumped Gatorade over me uh, Sunday after our ball game and I've uh, lost my vocal cords a little bit, but and I don't know if anybody saw me trip on the way in. Did anybody see that? A lesser athlete would have gone down. That's all I have to say about that. But uh, there are are very special words uh, that... uh, that are in the English language that we all embrace. Uh, there's family, there's friends, there's teammates, there's victory. Uh, I was reminded of another very special word when I was driving into Ann Arbor this morning, and, and that word is homecoming.
7: When did you actually make the decision that this was going to happen?
0: I can remember uh, thinking about it as a, as a young youngster, nine, ten years old. There was a time where I was sitting in uh, Coach Jim Beckler's office. I had my I was sitting in his chair. I had my feet up on his desk, and uh, he walked in and said, "How you doing, Jim?" And I said, "I'm doing great, Bo. How you doing?" He said, "What are you doing?" And I said, I'm, "I'm sitting in your sitting in your chair, Coach." I couldn't I couldn't think of anything better to say, but uh, uh, but yeah, there's just been times in my life where. Uh, where uh, I've thought about it, dreamed about it, and now it's time to live it.
2: I'm curious to know, with the way that Michigan's been roughed up uh, against the rivals over the past years, if you have any guarantees or perhaps any <laughs> <laughs> anything about Ohio State and Michigan State that you can lend here today to the uh, fan base?
0: Through outstanding programs. No, I, I make no guarantees. I, uh, I made a guarantee a long time ago, and uh, I've learned from that. I've grown. <laughs> I understand that you don't make guarantees. <laughs> hey, as I was out last night in East Lansing, as a matter of fact, somebody asked me if I was going to come
1: to Ann Arbor and see the Messiah. I'm wondering how comfortable or uncomfortable you are with this perception that you're the savior of Michigan football.
0: I'm not comfortable with that at all. As I, as I said, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. as I said, this is... a uh, I'm standing on a foundation that has been built for over 100 years uh by some great men and uh I feel like I'm standing on those their shoulders and uh I want to do a good job. Uh want to be good. Uh want to win.
6: Uh if the man who coached you here was able to be standing here today, what do you think he'd say to you? Steve
0: Steve Cardacki already <laughs> asked me that question and uh and I, what I told him was, I feel like he is here. You know, I feel like when I'm in, 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 standing next to Lloyd Carr and, uh, and Gary Moeller and, and my dad and Jerry Hanlon and, and John Falk, uh, John Gindia, that, that, to me that is, that's the, same, that's the same people, that's the same feeling. And uh, they said they were happy to
2: have me here. For somebody that is former coach called cocky, That was a pretty humble answer, basically saying that Schembeckler would be happy to have him back. I thought it could be more than that. So I asked Jack and Eisen the same question. What would Bo think about little Jimmy Harbaugh returning and leading this historic program?
8: Bo is very, very, very proud of Jim. And and totally one day that uh, he thought he would he would be back and would be coaching at the University of Michigan before he I just got chills before on he passed away. So I, I'm sure he's somewhere. He's got a probably a little cigar and a, a little cigar and he's at Harbo. What, what, do- <laughs> what are you doing? Another camp? What are you What are you
2: doing? <laughs> what do you think Bo would say right now if he saw Jim leading this program?
5: Oh, he'd be so proud. I think he he'd just be so proud. And I think he does know. How about that? I think he looks down. I'm getting emotional just talking about it because you know Jim, Jim Harbaugh is the is the modern day version of Bo, and so he has within his DNA Bo Schembechler. He's got it. It's there. So he's an embodiment of Bo. And part of Bo might be chuckling a little bit, just saying, "I can't believe that kid was late for practice." Or the one who, the one who uh, guaranteed victory against Ohio State is the one who is the molder of men and the leader of this program. But you know, when you run out of the the locker room at Michigan into the big house, to your right is this huge mural of Shembecker in his sunglasses, Michigan jacket, Michigan hat, headset glory and it says those who stay will be champions You know, which is Bo's long term phrase And wow. I mean it's just I can't make this stuff up he, he's, he's like hits every right note I mean the Harbaugh family with Bo Schembechler is I mean intertwined forever forever and so you know the Harbaugh name is as good as gold in Ann Arbor and in the past it always was and now even more so I mean, just coming off the campus, the, uh, the Ann Arbaugh t-shirts that I saw, the Jim Ar- Jim Arbaugh, uh, gear that I see everywhere. I mean, he, he, he is a throwback to the past as well as a portal to the future and it's perfect. I mean, I just saw it up close. I was just the honorary captain. I was in the locker room. I was in the dining hall. I was in the team hotel and the buses. I mean, I saw it all firsthand and, um, you know, it confirmed everything that I had hoped that Jim Harbaugh returning to Ann Arbor would be.
2: The fresh breath of life that Jim injected into the community, the alumni, the students, and the fan base. It wasn't fleeting. It's still there. He restored attitude. He restored confidence and excitement. After inheriting a 5-7 and seven Michigan squad, he immediately turned them into 10-3 teams in the two seasons that he's been there. Obviously, you're the man who chose him and thought he could, re- you know, help restore this proud football program, but I was going to ask you, were you even surprised a little bit by how quickly he was able to start winning again?
1: There's no smugness in this answer. Absolutely not. Wow. I mean, a hundred, and here's why. I have a quick story, but I need to tell it to you. He has his first practice. Think of the Jim Harbaugh first practice at Michigan. I think I want to go to that. You know, that's kind of historic, he institutes some race at the end, which is, you know, cause at the end of practice when people run the way the traditional people that don't have this gift think about it, it's a penalty for something not going well. Jim makes it a reward trophy, so to speak, that if you won, you get to keep racing. Okay. So you think if you won the race, you can exhale and not be tired. You get to keep racing. And you get to keep racing if you keep winning. So I get there and I'm witnessing this at the end. We're now down to what you would call like the last two heats. So the whole team of 100 plus people are going in heat and the whole team, first day of practice, the whole team is out on the field screaming like in unison for who's going to win the next race.
2: You know what I mean? Right.
1: And I'm by myself 40 yards away and I'm sobbing. And the reason I was crying was it hit me. I mean, we worked so hard on this, how lucky Michigan was going to be. I knew that what he had brought in that one practice was a total return to what I remember about that university. So I hate to sound smug. It is no surprise. I mean, I cried because I was so happy. I thought, who can I call and tell? <laughs> We're back.
2: Heck it is right. Michigan is back. But Jim still has some unfinished business. A Big Ten championship and, of course, a national championship are the next goals. Here's Mark Snyder from the Detroit Free Press.
1: To follow in the footsteps of his mentor, Bo Schembechler, really carried him. I think that that drove him to be the guy to save it. And I think that that's something that he's done. And I think that you know that will always hold legend, especially if he ends up winning a national championship here. He'll have legend status forever.
2: Jim Harbaugh going down as a legend. It makes you wonder, why did the San Francisco 49ers let him go? We'll explore that and Jim's controversial satellite camps next week. And I've also talked with friends and family about whether Jim is too competitive or maybe even a little crazy, or just misunderstood. Next time on Man of the Crowd. What are your impressions of Jim? Crazy.
1: Jim is hyper, hyper competitive. He can never lose, even when he's won. So
3: he's not. When I would talk to Jim and he was struggling with, you know, the management there, try to have a direct relationship, you know, with Jed York. I mean, that's your, that's your owner. That's the guy. You know, do whatever you can, and and, and he did. He tried to do that.
0: And there were times I didn't have a friend, uh, as you know. I sometimes I wear those out. Uh, <laughs> sometimes he was my only friend. He got mistreated really badly in one of those jobs
1: really badly and i know that
2: yeah i do think jim is misunderstood sometimes
1: when paul brown invented game film they said he was cheating the innovators always get accused and it's because they're far ahead so jim's inventing things and he's more clever than lots of the people he competes with. Right, because
0: people assume the worst. I, I think the agent of change is never really the most popular person in a, in any room. Also, people try to intimidate you. That's part of life to me is competing. But if that offends somebody, then, then so be it.
2: Hey, man of the crowd listeners, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you for such a strong showing of support for the podcast. We're very happy with how many of you that are out there listening. And we'd love to have even more people find us. So please consider rating the podcast and writing a review. The more subscribers and positive ratings Man of the Crowd gets, the more others will be able to find it. Also, don't forget to continually check back to our microsite at baltimoreravens.com backslash crowd. It has content that complements what you're listening to here, including biographies of key interviews I've conducted photo galleries, and more. And as always, I want to hear from you after each episode. If you have any comments or questions or whatever, hit me up on Twitter. My handle is at Ellison. I look forward to your feedback and would love to interact with you. Okay, that's it. That's all I've got. But I'll be back next week with Episode 6, Is Jim Crazy or Just Misunderstood?
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK System sets through June 16, 2024. See participating
8: retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh?